1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Shut up and sit down. All right, everybody, we are back with another podcast after a little bit of a hiatus for the the holidays there. Um, Lots of big things coming up for us. Um, Start off, we have the Total Archery Challenge coming up um, the weekend of June 8th. And uh, we're going to be up there um, Thursday and uh, headed back home Monday. So if if you guys are going to be up there even for one day, stop by. Um, We're going to be... Um, right behind the practice range, you'll see the uh, Muskegon Bowman's banner um, out there. And Saturday night, we are doing a cookout with the Hunt of War podcast. So um, Nick's going to be uh, grilling up some different wild game dishes, as well as uh, John and myself. We're bringing some um, different things uh, there and uh, it's just going to be a good time to get together with a lot of guys that we met up there last year and you know any of the listeners that we you know if you're going to be up there definitely swing by and say hi we're going to be out there just uh, cooking out eating carrying on and uh, having a good time so it's going to be real cool and you get to meet Nick from the Hunt of War podcast he's a super nice guy just a just a great guy and a, and a heck of a good cook and I'm really looking forward to uh, what he's putting together for us so going to be an overall good time and that's uh at the boyne mountain um total archery challenge that'll be saturday evening our our knock times are like 10 o'clock so um, we'll probably get off the mountain three four o'clock and then start grilling it's going to take a little bit of time to prepare everything but um yeah we're just gonna be hanging out and doing that so feel free to stop by and uh, you know if you're in the area and you're you don't get to shoot or anything like that you know just you know you can pop up and and say hi and have a beer eat some food and and hang out with us um so please do that if you're going to be in the area and then um beyond that uh we picked up another uh we've been to- talking back and forth with uh cody from from xop trying to get the details on the the new stands and any of the new products that they've got coming out and um, we're, we're still working towards that. Uh, but he did give us a code for the, the Vanish stands. And so that's their smaller, more compact, lightweight stand. Um, you can use code Chronicles for that uh, for 10% off. Puts it right about 150 bucks free shipping for the stand. So, um, you know, John and I ran the Air Raid stands last year, mainly because the Vanish were sold out. And I put it off all summer long. Oh, I'm going to buy one. I'll buy one. And then when I decided that I was going to buy one, 
there wasn't one to be found and, and there weren't any of the XOP stands to uh, to be found really soon as they released some some more got back into production all they had was the air raids and, and that's what we used so then as soon as the vanish came back in stock uh sold the air raid bought a vanish and um you know i'm going to be hunting out of that uh for my hang and hunt sits and uh, i'm going to be giving the 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 manis a, a try as well but uh, my main tree stand this year is going to be that xop vanish so uh, if you guys are looking for a stand it's uh, listed at 11 and a half pounds it's uh, 13.5 ready to hunt um, go to xop outdoors and you can use the code chronicles for 10 percent off of that stand so um, definitely something to check out if you're looking for a, a stand and I, I mean i don't think that there's a better value in tree stands if you've never hunted from one of the cast stands it's just a completely different animal so i can't say enough good things about uh, xop and the cast stands and the price point um, you know for anybody looking to get into kind of a hang and hunt situation there um it's an excellent um starting point for that and you know as always use the code chronicles at serve aside for 10 percent off everything over there as well as 25 percent off of gear rack um you know if you're looking for a bino harness they're getting ready to drop their third generation bino harness here real soon um and i'm real excited to see that but you know super durable you know just a great product so definitely check out gear rack and you know those guys all of those guys have you know been nothing but but great to us so you know if you're in the market for any of those products or anything like that definitely check them out and then you know if you like our podcast you know please follow along with us on instagram it's probably where we're most active but you can find us on facebook as well uh, we do have a patreon account so if you want to um you know help us out with uh, any gear or any of uh, you know the cost of the podcast anything like that we do appreciate everybody that that um you know donates it's five dollars a month and you know that just goes directly towards producing the podcast every time so um you know we're just so grateful for all of you listeners and hope to see you at the total archery challenge and i really hope you enjoy this episode because it was a a follow-up episode and you know a lot of fun lots of good information so hope you enjoy it thanks for listening all right, everybody, Adam and John back with another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles. And tonight we're going to kind of revisit one of our guests that we had had on, um, I don't know, six, eight months ago now, Garrett Weaver. Um, so how are you doing tonight, Garrett? It's been good, man. Thanks for having me back on the show. No problem. You know, I put out uh, a, a thing. We were giving away some stickers a while back, and I said, you know, just shoot me a DM with, uh, you know, what what your favorite or most interesting episode um, uh, of our podcast was, and, and yours came up, you know, if it wasn't the top one, I mean, it's hard to compete with, uh, the uncle Frank stories and exploding <laughs> beagles and things like that. But, um, <laughs> if I think you were second or maybe tied with, uh, with uncle Frank, um, because of the episode that we did on your, uh, $500 bow challenge. And so, mm -hmm. um, I just thought it prudent to kind of get you back on here and kind of see, you know, following up and for the people that didn't maybe quite catch what, how you, how you landed and where it ended up with your setup. Um, you know, kind of, kind of where you're at with that. So, um, yeah, yeah. Well, I can't believe it's already been eight months, right? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's, it's been, um, it has, you know, we named it the, the boat, the budget boat challenge and it's absolutely been a blast. It's been a challenge. Um, so yeah, whatever you guys want to know and talk about, um, I'm game. There's been, uh, ups and downs with it and and um so far really happy with where we're at with it 
Yeah. And so I guess maybe just to kind of rehash the project a little bit, uh, maybe just the Cliff Notes version of kind of why you did that and kind of what what's the what's the motivation behind it? Yeah, man, there's a there's a few reasons. So with the MSRP on the bows coming out, uh, it would have been last year now, and they're getting like seventeen hundred bucks for a hunting bow. Um, and at the time, I was into my hunting rig over twenty two to twenty three hundred bucks somewhere around there. Um, I was, you know, it's just this is getting ridiculous. <laughs> so this stuff's getting out of control, out of hand. You know, if if I attract a lot of newer bow hunters with my platform, so I don't want to some, you know, somebody to click on, you know, not that they do, but somebody to click on my stuff, see what I'm using, figure out how much I spent on everything I have, and then like I can't do that. And so I didn't want to be the person that because I try to get people into the sport eventually turn them away when they figure out it takes three grand to get into the sport when that's just not true. So, uh, the budget bow challenge was born, um, out of a little bit of spite out of the uh, bow prices. And then me kind of being conscientious about the way I was being perceived. I was just really didn't want to turn anybody away. And so, uh, me and my buddy, uh, team dirty trad who, uh, bailed on me, <laughs> uh, you know, he was going to do the, the, the challenge with me. And so far it's just me, but the feedback I've gotten from it has been really good. Uh, $500 budget starting literally from scratch to go out and literally have everything you need to go out and hunt, uh, a release broadheads, arrows, sight, uh, bow, everything. I mean, rest. And, uh, it's just kind of interesting what, what I ended up with and what was actually out there when I started looking. So that's, that's the budget boat challenge was a $500 budget and go out and hunt. So real quick, why'd your buddy bail? Uh, he bought a, uh, target rig. He found a super good deal on a target rig. And, uh, since he's not, since he's not here to do offend, to, uh, to defend himself, I can t- say whatever I want here. So I, <laughs> he, uh, yeah, he found a really good deal on a Fanatic uh, 2.0. I think he picked it up brand new for like 500 bucks, or no, 400 bucks. Um, which, if anybody knows Target bows, that's an extremely good deal. So he spent his money on a Target bow, and then, um, yeah, and he's just kept his uh, Elite, uh, I think it's like a 35, Synergy 35 or something like that. Um, but it's, yeah, he... He decided to go another route with the uh, hunting or with with the uh, target bow and and bailed on me. But I got a bunch of guys that said they're doing the uh, the budget bow challenge, and uh, yeah, a lot of people have had good success with it. So pretty cool. Yeah, I just wondered if it was too hard to find a setup, or but he didn't get rid of his old setup, so he just had five hundred bucks set aside and found a screaming deal on a target setup. Yeah, and I don't blame him. And uh, you know, I mean, it was a really good deal, and he was wanting to get into target archery in anyways, and and uh, yeah, I mean, it was if he didn't buy that bow, I would have turned and flipped it. So, <laughs> I mean, it was a really good deal. It was a super good deal. And so, I guess, what did you set out uh, looking for with this bow? I mean, I know you you want to get the best bang for your buck or whatever, um, but did you set up for? Uh, did you look for? just any good deal or did you do the research to find a good hunting bow and then where you landed how's that been working out for you yeah uh good question so my i knew what i like and i knew 
immediately st- thinking of 500 bucks. I'm like, cause I wasn't sure I could do it for 500 bucks, but I, I had a really, I had a lot of confidence I could. Um, I knew, I knew I could do it for 500 bucks, but I didn't know how good of a bow I could get. And so then it became a challenge of, well, what is out there and what's important to me. And after shooting the RX uh, one turbo, not as good as I would have hoped, not as good as my synergy. That's the best, um, accuracy I've ever got personally. Um, not as good as my Halon that I had before that, you know, it just was like, I wanted to get back to accuracy. I didn't care about speed as much. I just wanted to go back to shooting really good at shoots and, and just feeling like a killer out in the woods. And, uh, I, you know, I had that with my RX three a little bit, you know, just confidence, but I, I knew I was way behind on, on my shoots. Um, versus about last year's scores when I had my Synergy. So I just kind of wanted to go back to being, you know, just a ringer, just, just, you know, whatever I aimed at, I could hit. And, and, uh, I decided to go with the easier to shoot bow, uh, the RX three or the RX one turbos. It's a great bow compared to the other turbos. It's the most shootable turbo that they've come out with, in my opinion. Um, but again, you know, a little aggressive on the, on the, uh, back wall and it would kind of pull you off if you got lazy and that would just make me rush through my shots so i went for a, a good brace height i went for a nice valley easy drawing bow not aggressive and i started doing my search and i went on to the matthews owners Botech owners hoyt owners just all these other facebook pages and started scouring and i had a few other guys saying hey you know if you find a good deal on a bow let me know and uh these uh you know, I had a few bows fall through the cracks, and then this guy was asking 400 for the uh, Bo- uh, Bowtech BTX 31, which uh, you know I'm a local guy to the uh, to the Bowtech uh, facility. I'm only an hour away, and if anything goes wrong here locally, and and they got good customer service abroad, but especially locally, like even if it's your fault, you dry fire it, they'll take care of you. Um, and so I knew if the limbs uh, blew up on me, which was possible with that addition of the bow. Uh, I could get it fixed. And so I, I decided to kind of roll the dice. And some guys saying, oh, you're being dramatic. You're not really rolling the dice. BT- or The BTX is a fine bow. Yeah, but they still had delamination issues on that bow. And it was still a risk compared to the other bows on the market. So I, I took in consideration that. The other consideration was that, you know, the bow is hard on strings and cables. The angle that the cable comes off the cam creates kind of a separation on that serving. And then the, the draw stops really hammer hard into your serving on your strings. So... Um, knowing that decided to go with it anyways. And the bow came with, it was a BTX 31. It came with a, uh, spot hog bulletproof two pin, which I got rid of. It came with a whisker biscuit, came with six brand new GT hunter arrows, six brand new muzzies, two lighted knocks, a release and a quiver and, uh, all loaded inside of a hard SKB case. And, uh, paid the guy's asking price. You know, I didn't lowball him or anything. He just, Wanted to get rid of the bow. Had only shot it like a dozen times, and uh, decided it wasn't for him. And there I was, when you know, money in hand, said, "Hey, ship it to me." And uh, the shipping was fifty-two bucks, which really sucks. <laughs> so, um, you know, when you have a short budget like that, it, that le- <laughs> that only leaves you with forty-eight dollars to buy, you know, what you want. And so uh, that's you know that's what I got. That's that's the setup for four hundred bucks plus shipping. I got. I think I got a killer deal. And then, so now I've I've noticed following along that you've been uh, kind of like deflecting a whole lot of comments. You know, people either that don't believe you got that bow or the setup uh-huh. that you ended on because the mm-hmm. the site that you're using now is is still a pretty 
high-end expensive site um, for a yeah. $500 total package oh, yeah. uh, setup. So um, mm-hmm. what did you end up with as far as, um, you know, the bow? Did you change the rest? Did you change? Uh, because yeah. you've, been, you've been hunting with this bow now. And so where did you land as far as what you're, what you're bringing to the field with you? Uh, yeah. So basically the challenge was you have a budget of 500 bucks and there was no special deals, no nothing. You, you couldn't really know the people you couldn't get, you know, like, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm doing this challenge. Can you work me a deal? That was just, if I was brand new to bow hunting and I was entering the market, that's the kind of mindset and that's the rules we need to follow. Uh, so wheeling and dealing was totally cool. Um, but again, you couldn't, you know, it couldn't be my best friend or my uncle or something like that, you know, giving me a killer deal. It had to be somebody that I didn't really know that was, you know, taking a price they would have took from a stranger. So um, those were some of the rules we laid down. And the challenge, excuse me, the challenge was was to see how good of a, a setup I could get for 500 bucks, right? Because I'm, I'm coming down from a $2,300 setup down to a $500 setup. And my point was to show, look at, look at what I got for 500 bucks. You don't have to go out and spend two grand to do what you can do for 500 bucks. Granted, when this challenge is over, I'm, I'm getting myself a new bow because um, I love new bows and I'm a bow guy. It's what I like to spend my money on. Uh, but you don't have to do that. And if you're trying to get into the sport, this is, what, this is the things that you can get. And so I guess to answer your question, uh, it was a uh, Fast Eddie XL. Or no, no, it's just a regular fast eddy two pin. And uh, it's a it's a great sight. It's the brand new version, so it has the MRT rings with it. And uh, that's a two hundred and something dollar sight. I mean, that's probably yeah, I don't know, two hundred and sixty dollar sight, somewhere around there. And uh, that I traded basically I sold my SKB for hundred and twenty and that I got that one used for hundred and twenty, which was a really good deal. So uh, I kept the stabilizer that came on the bow, which is just a cheap, like, octane stabilizer. I kept the whisker biscuit. I kept the really crappy release that it came with. It's like one of those $40 True Fire caliper releases. Um, just hate that thing to death. <laughs> and then uh, I kept the the quiver, which I lost the mounts to, so I didn't have enough budget. I've been carrying around my quiver <laughs> everywhere. Uh <laughs> So, uh, that sucks, but, um, you know, not the budget's fault. I lost my, my quiver bracket mount. Um, and that's pretty much what I'm using. I, I tried developing cause I threw out this challenge. I tried other doing other stuff. I tried developing a budget arrow outside of the GT hunters, which I'm looking at here. I developed a, a defender elite. Um, I bought these things for like 67 bucks, worked them up fully all the way. And uh, got a whole dozen for sixty-seven bucks. So I was just trying to trying to find deals for people to show people that hey, you know, you can get good deals on arrows and everything too. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I've I've switched out the string, uh, which was another big uh, hot point for people. They're like, well, you just broke your budget right there, dude. And I'm like, I guess you know, I, I shoot enough to where I'm gonna wear through a string. So right, uh, truth be truth be told, um, the top cam was. I shot with the top cam being a little messed up or really messed up and, and um, I was shooting league with it and it basically trashed the string within like 2,500 to 3,000 shots. It just trashed the string. Uh, so I, I just had my buddy work me up a new string and send it to me. So, you know, if guys have a problem with that, you know, they have a problem with it, but I, I promise you I would have I went through that string by this time anyways. So, 
Um, you know, it is what it is, but that's that's, that's, that's pretty of, much what I ended up with. That's part of owning. The, I mean, being a bow hunter anyway. I mean, those are just those are things that you're going to have to do. You know, once every couple years or once a year. I mean, depending on how much you shoot. I mean, that's just a a cost of being a bow hunter. You're going to go through arrows. You're going to go through strings. But once you got the bow and the sight and all the hardware, well, you know. And we kind of talked about before, you know, we got on here was, you know, the Total Archery Challenger, one of the uh, Northwest Mountain Challenges. I mean, I can go through $100 worth of arrows in, in a weekend, <laughs> weekend for sure. And if you if you said, well, oh, you, oh, you yeah. lost all your arrows, well, now you're done. I mean, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah. I get the, the, the wear and tear um, on that. Um, and so one of the things I wanted to ask you, because I've, you know, following along with your Instagram and stuff, it looks like you're building some other arrows and doing some other things. I just didn't know if those oh, yeah. were within your... It, no, um, you know, cause I am a product, you know, reviewer, tester guy and I, uh, natural tinker. So I still have the budget bow arrows and, and they're, they're ready to hunt with and everything. But, um, you know, I've got, I've got Axis built. I've got the defender elites built. I've got the day six built, the GT hunters built, um, Easton injections built. I mean, I, I'm constantly trying to mess with things. I've, you know, I've got, um, what are these Easton, uh, Eclipse or whatever these things are, these Eclipse, uh, yeah, target arrows built, um, for indoor. I mean, I've got all sorts of things and, uh, I'm about, you know, two, two seconds away from, from throwing that whisker biscuit off there because it's preventing <laughs> me from testing other products. Like it's preventing me from testing this, you know, I, I'm not going to say stupid fob thing because, you know, it's kind of cool, but these fobs have kind of made a, uh, <laughs> a resurgence in the market after a few people did, um, did reviews on them. People are like, Oh wow, that's a cool new product. Well, no dude, they've been around for years. So I've been wanting to do a video on the fobs, which you can't do with the whisker biscuit. Um, I've been wanting to do, um, all sorts of different things with, with testing on veins, which I'd rather do with the drop away. So, I mean, I, I've completed the challenge in my mind and, uh, the challenge is complete. It's done. I went out and I killed something with it. Um, I even used the, the, the garbage release that I, I just can't, I don't even like looking at that release. I, <laughs> it's got, I don't know. It's that release is every, it just takes everything in me just to shoot that release. I seriously do hate it. And, um, yeah, I went out and shot something with it, had a great time. Um, I've been testing tons of different broadheads, tons of different arrows and this whisker biscuit isn't the best product to be testing those kind of things with. So, you know, I got to make, got to make a, um, another judgment call. I have another bow I bought right next to it. It's a diamond outlaw. It's a single cam. And, and, uh, you know that I got that bow for 200 bucks and, and even with the $300 uh, fast Eddie on there, I'm still under budget and everything. So, um, I, I could work that bow up as my budget bow, I guess. And, and then just make my, uh, my BTX 31, my new testing bow for, for other products and stuff. I, I'm not really sure how that's going to work yet, but um, in my mind, I, I completed the challenge and, and there's a few errors, you know, with the string. Yeah, that kind of sucks. And then, you know, I don't know. It is what it is, man. I mean, I can't, I can't give up everything just to do the budget bow. I mean, I have to still come out with content and test products. So that's, that's kind of been the struggle lately. Well, I mean, these I'm day sick. six arrows are like 190 bucks. Um, these day six arrows are like 190 bucks a dozen. So that's, that's definitely out of budget. Yeah, yeah. I, I wanted to ask you about those uh, here in a, here in a minute, but um, you you kept talking about the the release and the that, and that was one of the questions that I had for you was like, what's the difference going from a, a thumb button or a higher end release to um, 
to that. I mean, I'm sitting here uh, looking at John and his, you know, multitude of bows and arrows and releases and, you know, a whole mm-hmm. garage full of um, very, very particular <laughs> purpose-built system-driven things. And, mm-hmm. you know, to have John pick up his son's uh, diamond infinite edge there with a whisker biscuit and, and have to hunt mm-hmm. with that or shoot the total archery challenge in a couple weeks with it, I think it would mm-hmm. – I think – I mean, last year I saw him almost – frisbee throw his rx1 uh because of a a few (laughs) bad miscalculations or whatever i can't imagine what it would be like coming from you know that sort of precision or like gear type mindset of like this is what i want for this reason i've tested all this stuff out um so you know i've switched over from a wrist strap release to a, a thumb button and it's been a yeah frank's over here frank's here listening in and he's miming me shooting them into the walls and into the everything at the club and just (laughs) long gone and so that for me has been you know we joked on this podcast you know multiple times about john talking about target panic and it's like you talk about target panic then you have target panic well it's like i did not only (laughs) just buy a thumb button release i also bought a lifetime supply of target panic so um (laughs) nothing that i ever experienced before so what have you noticed having to go uh, i guess maybe regress to a a, a wrist strap from that well it's it's uh in in Pitch, pitch in here whenever you want, John, is, is shot execution, man. Shot execution with this thing is a freaking nightmare. It is it is the – it's like jumping over an ankle-high hurdle with a hinge versus jumping over a six-foot-tall fence with this stupid wrist strap release. It's it's And not all wrist strap releases are, are bad. I love the short and sweet. It's the favorite release I've ever had. I mean, I have like three of them. They're great. But with this release, there's a mile of trigger travel – you can just feel it creeping on you as it's going, and it just mentally just mind screws me so bad. I can't – it just takes the joy out of shooting. I can execute a shot with it, but it just – all my mental uh, basically focus is now on executing a good shot with, with – when it's just for me earlier, it's just waiting, you know, floating the pin, waiting for it to go off. Now it's just like – Okay, go off, go off. Don't freaking don't do it. Don't do it. Okay, finally it went off. There you go. Okay, cool. You know, it's it's just a completely different mindset. It takes me out of the shot. It it you know, granted I'm shooting good with it. I'm I'm shooting better with this setup than I am my RX1 by a mile, but um it's just not as fun by a mile and the shot execution with this thing is a nightmare. When you so you went from shooting a hinge uh, I was shooting my, um, I was going back and forth. I, I always have my hinge in my pocket, but I was shooting with my short and sweet, uh, short and sweet a lot. Uh, that thing, I, I've just shot that thing for years. There's very, very little, uh, trigger travel. There is a little bit, but there's very little, you can set the poundage on it. Um, the hinge is just, man, it's just a, a, so fun to shoot. You don't even think about anything really. You just, you just, it's just all comes together, but um, that short and sweet, I could execute a shot for a wrist strap, um, release just fine. And, uh, so I, I bounced back and forth. My, my, uh, point of impact when I'd switch releases wasn't really that different. Um, as long as I could execute a shot properly with both of them and, and I, you know, there, there wasn't really a change of impact. So I could just swap over whenever I wanted. Cause I like watch, watching John try the, 
the hinge because John, John's good with the um, silverback and the, you know, but that's like, mm-hmm. that's a kind of, a, not as Achilles heel, but there's definitely some trepidation, I think, when he makes a shot. With the hinge? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, what happened was when I got, <laughs> I, I bought the hinge last, was it last year? Yeah. Yeah, that when uh, Dudley came out with the two smooth. So I'm like, well, I mm-hmm. need to, I need to have, have one of those. So mm-hmm. I got it and right off the bat, I was shooting, you know, really good with it. Felt really good. Well, then I was like, all right. So I had all three, I had three different releases in my pocket. I had my silverback, I had my wise choice, which is my thumb. And then I had my hinge and I was just going back and forth and I'm using my hunting bow. So it's, you know, 80 pound limbs and I reach in and grab the two smooth, which is the hinge. And right in the meat of the stroke, I got a little complacent or something and rolled my hand back and I punched myself right in the nose. And <laughs> oh, yeah. And ever since then, I've been a little more careful. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> you know, how I uh, learned to use my hinge was with an Aki bow. Um, it's the most use I've ever got out of it. And uh, I bought the HBC, shot it for like two or 300 shots. It took me. Only, you know, it took me not even an hour to do that. And uh, just kept drawing and shooting, drawing and shooting, drawing and shooting until I felt confident I wasn't going to punch myself in the face. And uh, still to this day, knock on wood, um, haven't had that happen yet. But I think that happens to the strong majority of people that try hinges. But um, I was so afraid of it that I'm like, I'm going to get comfortable shooting this thing without an arrow. (laughs) And, uh, eventually, you know, I would start drawing, you know, I was drawing away from my face in case it did go off cause I didn't trust it. And then finally I could draw it straight back like a, like a regular release and, and, um, you know, just that's how I overcame that. But yeah, that, that's how I learned to use my, my hinge releases with the Akibo. Yeah, we have, so I made, you know, uh, Adam has one of the right release, mm-hmm. uh, things from, uh, Rattler grips. And uh-huh. I, I, I built one, you know, basically the same thing and that, you know, that's good for your shot sequence basically, but not for drawing, you know? So yeah, it's, it's all <laughs> like the Acubo would be great. You know, like you're saying, mm-hmm. cause you at least get yeah that the drawing sequence down instead of just, you know, when you, with the right release, you're, you just set it and you're not drawing any weight back. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's that's been the big big hurdle, anyways, with with uh, with the release. So I'm sorry to sorry to interrupt you there, Adam. Oh no, th- th- it's fine. I like I say I, I one of the things I had I messaged over to you, and one of the things I wanted to talk about, and and this kind of goes into it between you know that forty dollar release and you know the other releases that we're talking about are two hundred dollars, you know, plus whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Is for that budget bow setup, whether it's and you, you touched on it a little bit. Um, for the the whisker biscuit, but um, what are you seeing in differences in like quality usability um, of these lower end mid range components, uh, be it arrows, you know, broadheads, uh, releases, um, you know, that you're accustomed to? Like I said, it, it's kind of like like I said, I'm, I'm looking around here and, and John's. Everything is like the high end, high end, high end um, type stuff. And it's, you know, he's done the research and figured it out. And, you know, whatever 
and and I do it too. So I'm not I'm not trying to pick on John. Is that you you justify the cost of a two hundred dollar release or um, you know these mm-hmm. uh, match grade arrows or something like that? But you know, talking to the guy that you're um, you know kind of speaking to with this this challenge, what are the differences? I mean, where is it okay to splurge? Yeah, I mean, where do you want to focus your yeah. your money on, or where you're saying okay? This is a great product. I mean, high point versus Kimber. I, you know, I don't know. You, you know, any of that sort of thing in the, <laughs> yeah. in the in the gun world. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's a really good question, man. Um, so basically, to start off, that there's nothing wrong with using anything. I had a plenty of guys message me saying, "Dude, you know, I'm using this. Is this okay?" I'm like, "Dude, it's fine. Like, go hunt, have a good time." You know, this one guy messaged me saying. Um, I wanted to use a bow that was given to me or it was like a family heirloom thing and it's it's pretty old or his dad used to use it or something like that. And he's like, you know, is, you think it's a still okay to hunt with? I'm like, absolutely. Like, there is nothing wrong with the bow from 2001, dude. Like, it was good back then. It'll be good now. You'll, you know, yeah, it's a little louder, more vibration and slower, but it was getting the job done, you know, 15 years ago. It'll get the job done today. Uh, there's nothing wrong with it. You know, my first bow was a 94 PSE Carroll intruder and that thing, uh, was not, you know, I wouldn't say <laughs> I, I'd take any diamond in, infinite edge, any budget bow brand new off the shelf or used now than that bow. Uh, but that's where I started, man. I used that and, and, um, went elk hunting with it, had some of the best memories I ever made was with that bow. And you know, you hear me talking about, you know, this, this release is, is, the biggest piece of crap in the world. Well, if that's what you got, become sufficient with it, use it. There's nothing wrong with it. But I will tell you that, you know, there is a benefit to spending money on nicer gear. Uh, if you want to try and develop good shot processes, you want to try and develop a good shot execution, you want to build a good foundation, then then a nicer release will help you do that. Then a nicer site or a nicer rest will help you do that. Um, I do want to go over a whisker biscuit later in the podcast, so don't let me forget that. But so one thing that I would for um, would like to talk about is the 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 release here. Why is that preventing a good shot execution? Kind of covered it already. Is basically because it's just the temptation to get that shot to go off with squeezing the trigger is absolutely a nightmare. I mean, your brain is not uh, designed to just let it go off. It wants to punch it. It wants to punch it bad. So, um, you know, luckily I have a lot of experience now shooting, you know, my short and sweet, and I've really dived in heavy to the hinge. And that that foundation is the only reason I'm not shooting with target panic with this release. And that is why 99% of the shooters you see out there shoot with target panic, whether they want to admit it or whether they know it, they have target panic. And if they're using this style release, I would I would be a millionaire if I bet, every, you know, I'd be a millionaire if I bet 99% of the time they have target panic. So don't feel bad if you do have target panic, but there are things and there are products to help you go out, go out and get that done. So uh, short and sweet, you can adjust the poundage. You know, there's plenty of others out there that you can adjust the poundage on. You can also adjust, I would kind of, a, I guess the length of pull. So the distance between the actual wrist strap and how far the release comes out to your hand, the actual release head only goes to about the, the end of my palm, like where my fingers come out of my hand or maybe between that and the first knuckle, that's as far as that release goes. It's typically to the end of my hand where the fingers connect. Uh, these bar style ones, you can't adjust that really. I mean, they're they're on a bar 
and I think you pr- you can introduce torque easier into your shot doing that. So um, there's a lot of technical stuff. I I don't like that released for uh, the leather wears out if you wear it and you and you shoot it with enough the the you know it wears out on you. I went to a boa wrist strap. Um, I've got a couple of those. They're solid. Been using them for years. Um, and those things, you can sense those down in the same spot every time and they won't move. Um, as far as, uh, cheaper stuff, other things on the bow, um, a stabilizer, you know, a lot of guys are hunting with these, um, cheap stabilizers. I get it. You know, I, I can shoot good without a stabilizer. I can shoot better with the good, with a really good stabilizer. So it's just a matter of where you're at, what your priorities are. If you're shooting baseball size groups at 40, 50 yards without a stabilizer, and you're like, man, you know, should I get one? Should I not? I mean, I don't know. I mean, what else could you spend that money on? You know, the my stabilizer that I like is the, you know, 80 or 90 bucks. It's a 10-inch long stabilizer. Uh, add the quick disconnect in there. That's another inch. Um, and there's, you know, four to six ounces of, of weight in the front typically on mine. So uh, right now I'm using the Octane. The thing does nothing, maybe a little bit of dampening, but it literally does nothing. It's so light and so short that it's not going to do anything for me. Um, I have buddies that hunt without stabilizers and they, and and they're absolute killers. They punch tags like crazy. So, um, you know, it's, it's really just of, of where you at, where are you wanting to go? What's your end goal? Cause a lot of these things I think are psychological. The release for me is psychological. The release works every time you hit the trigger, it'll go off, but psychologically it's, it's a nightmare. So, um, I hope I'm answering your questions here. I don't, I don't know if you want to, um, steer me on path there at all no i mean that that's you know in one of the questions that i've been posed and it's kind of hard i mean it's not hard for probably you and john so that's why i'm going to ask you right now is because but you know people have said you know like well you, you should do a podcast on like uh stabilizer setups and so like for me i'm the guy that will put on the the octane stabilizer and be like well it looks good you know and mm-hmm. uh and you know John's messing around with the weights and and all sorts of things. Yeah. And I mean, hell, he's got probably your five hundred dollars worth of bow set up and stabilizer um, for his his target setup. And and so for people that don't know where you know what is the point of the the stabilizer and why do they make them different lengths, different weights, different everything? I mean, what is it that you're actually trying to fight? with that that's that's a good question man so i'm i'm gonna uh go into this here and i'll ask you a few questions throughout this uh answer here but the question of a stabilizer is in the name it's a stabilizer it's supposed to make your pen float steadier throughout the shot and then also a lot of these ones the reason i like the one i have the spider tracker is because it also has dampening capabilities in it as well um so uh you know a better stabilizer in my opinion a stabilizer is how do I put that? The reason I say the Octane isn't doing anything for me is because a stabilizer works by length and by weight. So you can either have a longer stabilizer with a certain amount of weight, or you can have a shorter stabilizer, but to get the same effect, you kind of need to have more weight out front. So uh, John playing with the weights, you know, like that totally makes sense because he's trying to find for his setup, where that bow sits the best, how his bow reacts to it, and then how he reacts to it as well. And so just by shooting a bow, for me personally, I would start with a 6 to 8-inch stabilizer with about 4 ounces of weight on the front. And then I would, 
you know, if you have a bow shop that's willing to let you do this, go out about two inches and try, you know, a six inch to a 12 inch stabilizer, try different weights and just see how your bow and how you as a shooter react. Uh, for me personally, I like my bow to sit dead. I don't like it to jump. I don't like to feel anything on the shot. I just like that dead in the heel, that, that dead in the feel, um, shot and, uh, dead in the hand feel shot. And, uh, you know, so for me, like, let's go back to the Halon I used to shoot. The Halon is a little top heavy, so the bottom kicks out on it. So it took about an eight inch stabilizer with about four to six, I forget, I think six ounces of, no, it was about four ounces of weight on the front with an eight inch. And that would pretty much set that thing there where the bottom would kick out on it. Um, that's just personal preference for me. Again, um, you know, if you shoot for a day without your stabilizer, and then you throw your stabilizer on there. That's a great way to see, you know, what your stabilizer does. You're like, oh man, it's it's definitely steadier. Um, have I ever missed an animal or a target because I didn't have a stabilizer on there? I would say no. But have my groups shrinked and have I shot much more accurate with this because of a stabilizer? Absolutely yes. And so the question, I guess, to to people that are wondering is, if stabilizers weren't a big deal, then why would why would uh, why don't you see world professional archers not using them. I mean, why, why does Levi Morgan, Jesse Broadwater, why do all these guys have, you know, these three, four foot long stabilizers and a sidebar coming off is because it absolutely does make a difference in the long run. And that's the, you know, the far extreme of it. But, um, you know, John, I, I don't mess with the sidebars. Um, John could probably be better for you on that one. Uh, I just don't want the feeling of having a heavier bow and then having to rely on that side stabilizer mentally saying, if I don't have this thing on there, I'm costing myself accuracy. Cause first of all, I like about a four and a four pound bow. These bows are already coming in a 4.5, 4.8 pounds bare. Then you're adding in an extra, you know, side stabilizer. But, um, a lot of guys shoot really good with them. I just don't want to pack that extra weight and rely on it. But, um, yeah, I mean, so just shoot a bunch of stabilizers. It's like selecting a bow, just shoot a bunch at the shop figure out which one you like the best, which one your bow and you react to the best and figure it out. I mean, there's different types. You've got the, the tap ones, which I haven't tried out ones, but that's the total uh, or the titanium ones, which I've heard really good things about the crossover. I've heard really good things about, and that's an adjustable stabilizer. I'm a big fan of that. Not sure. Sh- haven't used it yet, but I like the idea. You got the quivalizer, which is God awful ugly, but <laughs> I heard, you know, I've got some buddies that use that. Um, and then I use the spiders and then you've got, you know, this regular carbon. I mean, there's, there's tons of different styles out there. It's just like choosing a bow. You got to shoot them. Yeah. I'm the same way with, I've, I've played around with sidebars and stuff like that, but I'm still, I'm shooting my, on my target bow. I, I do a sidebar setup just for, you know, Mm -hmm. trying to get that balance in the hand, like, you know, especially for long shots, but on my hunting bow, I don't want all that extra weight, especially like when we were going out West and, mm-hmm. and then like tree stand hunting here, I, I shoot good enough without the sidebar and my bow balance is good enough. So I have my RX one mm-hmm. and I just have, I think mine's an eight inch stabilizer with my quick, quick disconnect. Like I said, that adds an inch. And so mm-hmm. I just, I just set mine up to, you know, balance good in my hand, which is, I mean, it's p- pretty easy with the RX one, <clears throat> but and yeah. that, that also yeah. has, the RX-1 has an offset stabilizer uh, mount on it anyway. So that kind of gives you a little bit of, a, you know, of you don't have to have the sidebar. You know, it, it's offset from your handle. So 
Yeah, that's that's one feature I wish more bow companies would hop on is is kind of doing an offset or maybe maybe even an angled mount on your uh, on your um, on your bow to just put that weight off to the side. Right, um, and that basically offsets for guys that are wanting offsets the weight that you're putting on your bow with your sight and your and your quiver and stuff. So. Right. Um, I mean, it's, it's user preference, man. I mean, like one of my buddies that doesn't shoot, um, I had him, I'm like begging him to put on my, my spider, uh, stabilizer and he did. And he shot with it a little bit. He's like, meh, took it off, (laughs) went back to shooting, hasn't looked back. You know, he doesn't care about, (laughs) doesn't care about stabilizers, could care less. And he shoots just fine. So, um, that's just, you know, it is what it is. You gotta, you just gotta figure out what you like. And I would say that, you know, if the professionals didn't see a benefit in it or they didn't give them some sort of edge, then they wouldn't be using it. So, um, I always look to the elite of the elite when I'm trying to make a decision, whether it's a good decision, whether it makes sense. And if those guys are doing it, you can bet there's a reason why. Right. Um, and, and, and the way that a stabilizer works for the length is, is it basically if, you know, kind of look at a hammer, you know, all the weight is on the, um, is on the head that you're actually hitting the nail with. And if you take that hammer and you try wiggling it around really fast by the handle, it's going to be harder than if you grab the head side that you hit stuff with and then wiggle the handle end around. You're going to be way more sporadic and quick with your movements. And I did a video with me shooting with a laser um, on a three or on a Vegas face target with a um, stabilizer versus without a stabilizer. And you can see that just the movements are less sporadic. They're less sharp. They're less um, just, yeah, basically just less sporadic and it just slows everything down and everything floats better. And for guys that are wanting what a stabilizer does, uh, that was to me, I just kind of wanted to show visually and I'm like, okay, if I put a laser on my bow and I just aim, um, maybe that'll, that'll show people. And it was actually, it was actually a pretty big difference when guys, especially when I was coming down onto the target, the bow wanted to go left to right, left to right. And that left to right was just more smooth and it's just a really good video. So for guys wanting to check that out, um, I'm not even sure what the video was called, but, um, yeah, that was, that was a good test. And that showed me that absolutely for me personally, there is a benefit for me using that stabilizer and I could probably benefit from more weight and more length out front. So, um, but with this, with this budget challenge, it's preventing me from, from enjoying a lot of those, uh, tests. (laughs) One word of caution, like when, like what I tell the guys that when I'm building strings for uh, different guys around here and working on their bows, you know, I, one guy asked, you know, like, well, what should I do for a stabilizer? What, what should I, what are you using? I'm like, what I use might not work for you, you know, uh, mm-hmm. just like what you're saying, test out everything that you can if you have a pro shop around. But word of caution is you see, you see like these pros and some of them have like 16 ounces, you know, up front and 30 ounces on the back. You know, those guys shoot every day and they shoot thousands of arrows. And mm-hmm. you go out and you might shoot a couple times a week and you put all this weight on your bow, you're your whole uh, posture is going to change if you got that much. If you're trying to hold that much weight out in front of you, now it's, there's going to mm-hmm. be a detriment to your to your form. So you, it's got to. There's a happy. Don't go out and just put thirty ounces of weight on your bow and think you know I'm going to shoot <laughs> way better because next thing you know you're going to be leaning back, hitching, and you know. But yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, and don't you know get if, too if those guys are working. Yeah, those guys are working their way up to the weight. I remember. Um, buddy that has multiple championships here who's who's since retired but 
um, his front shoulder, he had me feel his front shoulder and it was like, felt like a bowling ball. I was like, dude, what in the hell do you have growing on the side of your freaking shoulder there? It was just a big ball of muscle, man. And it was just strong. And it was like, it was, it was incredible. I'm like, okay, there's a reason he's got, I don't even know, a pound of weight. <laughs> I don't know how much it is, but it, I tried shooting with his bow. I could shoot it once. Right. That was it. That's all I had enough energy and, and strength for was to shoot it once. And actually, I shot a de- inside out X with it. it was pretty cool. But just the amount of energy it took for me to get that thing level and keep it level and then keep it up long enough to execute the shot, it was almost impossible for me to do it. So uh, John's absolutely hitting the nail on the head there. I mean, you guys have to go out and test these things. If you're going to spend $1,600 on a bow and then you're just going to go randomly toss accessories on there something seems a little silly about that so um just just think about it like that i guess yeah and that even goes i mean like we're breaking down this budget bow i would rather buy a lower end bow and put higher end components on it than to buy a 1600 dollars bow and then put the cheapest you know uh, not to to uh put down the whisker biscuit, but put a whisker biscuit on mm-hmm. it and put on one of these fiber sites that, you know, you drop, your, <laughs> I mean, everyone's dropped their bow. Um, oh yeah. You know, maybe some people on purpose, but <laughs> <laughs> ground tuning, but you know, but you want something that's going to be pretty substantial and hold up to the abuse. Cause you don't want, that's the last thing you want to do is get out there and have an accident, drop your bow or knock it over and then something's broken and you're done. So I would rather. Exactly. Look at your full yeah. budget and then a, adjust accordingly. You know, it's not going to, I mean, I could go out. My son, I don't have a whiskey brisket on Jet's bow. <laughs> <laughs> I got rid of that. He has, uh, it's it's a SmackDown Pro, but. Yeah. So, oh, okay. All right. So <laughs> that is a perfect segue because you had wanted to go back to the whisker biscuit. But yeah. on the last yeah. podcast, you had uh, just lit on fire uh, about how you did not like the SmackDown Pro and how it was going to fail and all that stuff. And then I was thinking, I think I'm shooting a SmackDown Pro because it's what whatever John had on his old bow. So I was like, I want to know how that's, you know, what issues you had with that. Because that's a, a, it's not a super high-end uh, rest, but it's expensive. I mean, it's more expensive than a Whisker Biscuit or... Yeah, it's a $120 rest. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so it, I that was something that was like seared into my mind because you got real fired up about it how it was going to fail and what was going to happen. So I was like, I definitely want to know about that. Um, so I can be mindful. And then, like I said, you wanted to circle back to the whisker biscuit, um, you know, for a, a hunting rest budget boat type setup. Yeah. Um, you're saying I was, I was, uh, talking down about the SmackDown. Uh, yeah. I don't know if you said you had done a video on like how it failed or, or, or what, but mm, I think you're taking of the drop zone, um, the oh. trophy taker drop zone. Oh. Yeah, that that rest freaking sucks. The SmackDown's a good rest. Okay. Um, I, I I don't mind that rest at all. That they sell the crap out of those here locally, and and that's a pretty solid, pretty solid, pretty simplistic rest. Right. Um, I I don't really care for it too much, just because the angle of the of the uh, rest itself is pretty pretty broad, and so I've I've actually on the felt there. Um, I've I've actually had it hang up on like the side and not go all the way down into the V. Um, and that kind of just stuck in my head and I haven't used one since, but, uh, very, very reliable rests. I mean, we're talking about the drop, 
drop away um, limb driven, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a good rest. They they sell the crap out of those here. I just I had one um, was testing it out and it just had a little spot on on the side of one of the uh, the arms of the actual V there, and it just kept snagging right there. And I'm like, I'm nope, not doing it. So. Um, but that's, that's probably not fair to judge that rest off of that. I mean, I, I don't, so, but, um, you know, it's, it's a solid rest, man. There's nothing wrong with it. The, the drop away, uh, the drop zone, um, which is an older rest, uh, which is limb or a uh, cable driven, uh, is the biggest, one of the biggest piece of craps out there. <laughs> that thing, uh, that will, it's not a matter of if it'll fail. It's a matter of when, and it's just a design flaw. I mean, I could, I could tell you how and everything, but it would be longer than probably what it would be worth but long story short short that thing will fail on you and i personally would not own one i've owned two of them both of them failed and uh yeah best get rid of it so um and if you shoot a lot if you don't shoot a lot and you hardly ever shoot you'll probably never have a problem with it but if you shoot a lot you know get rid of it uh but the whisker biscuit yeah circling back to that so uh you know i got a (laughs) I was on a podcast the other day with uh, Hunt Backcountry, and uh, when I brought up the Whisker Biscuit, you know, we all kind of started chuckling, and then you're like, yeah, how's that working out for you? I'm like, actually, it's go- it's going pretty good, and, uh, you know, I- I've always actually been a fan of-, of the Whisker Biscuits, just because, you know, that's kind of where everything came from, and-, and it's old faithful, it's it's the super simplistic, it's like the beginning of working on your stuff or tuning your own stuff. It's just for somebody wanting to get into the sport, I, I can't think of a better product to learn. Um, you know, you, you can, you don't have to tie anything in, you just mount it and, and you square it up and it's good to go. And so, um, with the whisker biscuit, some common misconceptions, which, um, I was going to go on in, in the later podcast on our show is, uh, you know, people, people think that you can't shoot accurately with a broadhead and a whisker biscuit out past like 30 yards, 40 yards. And that is, is just not true. Uh, you know, some people think you can't be accurate with a whisker biscuit out past 60 to 80 yards. That seriously not true. And, uh, I just, I've been dispelling a lot of things with the whisker biscuit. Um, and so for guys that have one and they're worried about accuracy and stuff, um, you know, you can be really accurate with the whisker biscuit. You just got to be mindful of your tune, of your fletchings, of you know, you got to put a little bit more probably detail um, into what's going on there. But no, you can be. I mean, I can shoot broadheads out to 100 yards, no problem. I was shooting five different types of broadheads um, out of the whisker biscuit when I was testing the the day six arrows the other day out at 40. All five were hitting great, um, you know, and that says more about the bow tune and the arrow tune than it does about the whisker biscuit. I mean, that just, it's just not a problem. So, um, I was wanting to talk about that versus the, uh, some of the dropaways out there. It's, it's, it's all about the tune. It's all about the, the arrows, you know, setup and all that stuff. And yeah, whisker biscuit does come into play when you're switching arrows more. It does come into play when you're, when you're trying to do stuff like what I do, testing a bunch of different stuff. But, um, once it's tuned and it's set, it's a pretty damn solid piece of equipment. And, you know, it's, it's very accurate. It can be very accurate. Um, they do wear out. They do, um, they are louder. It does cause a little bit more, more vibration on the shot. Um, you know, but I, I haven't had any accuracy issues with it, period. And so I guess along those lines, I mean, and I think, you know, when I, I'm, I was just through the whole thing, I was trying to think like when we went out West, I know John had everything. I mean, granted I had like a, a Bowtech with me to like, 
troubleshoot anything I think that would have gone wrong or whatever. And, <laughs> and John had kind of, I mean, I'm looking at his bow right now, and it's got extra D-loop and wrap all over it just in case it, anything broke or, yep. or whatever. But, yep. you know, I think we had, I think I had in my box a whisker biscuit with me just in case something went wrong with, you know, because it was, it didn't take anything. There's not any timing. There's nothing to set up. There's no, you know, right. as far as having like backup equipment, if you were going to, if you didn't have a whole another bow to bring with you like we did, um, you know, that would, I feel like everybody's got one laying around, you know, because at one time that was like the cool new thing that had come out was the, the whisker biscuit. And maybe, maybe I'm right. dating myself at, at, at this point, but you know, I was like, oh, look at that. You can just shoot right through it. And like all the questions that arose from it. But I mean, as far yeah. as re- reliability, repeatability, it's probably not as, you know, there's a reason that they make a drop away rest, right? But right. but the the Whisker Biscuit is a, a solid piece of equipment, you know, one way or another. Um, on Along those lines, so as you're going through this and you're, you know, the release seems to be the, I guess, where your sacrifice was made the most. If you had another $100 or, you know, let's say that you've got a guy that's just gotten into the the sport and he's got his setup, he's shooting pretty good, um, but nowadays marketing social media you know i asked john you know about like why do you choose this stuff or you know why 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 is some of this stuff more expensive is it quality is it this and he says you know a lot of it's you're just paying for a name you know there's some features here and there but you know marketing branding you know all of these these things you know you you're paying for so let's say that you've got that 500 dollars set up and you're you know getting ready to make that next jump if you had another hundred dollars or two hundred dollars to spend, where would you put that uh, on this current setup? So, not to say if you were had your twenty four hundred dollar RX three and you know all mm-hmm. the top of the line, and you said, okay, well, now I want to try one of those, you know, tap stabilizers because I'm gonna I'm gonna check those out. I've heard good things. Or you want to get, you know, a two hundred dollar yeah. set of arrows, uh, and and maybe the arrows are the the next step. But what's the next step past? You know, if you're if you're in that budget range and you're saying, okay, well, I got a birthday coming up or a holiday or something, and I'm gonna I'm gonna get something <laughs> for my bow. You know, what is that gonna be? Yeah, that's a tough one because I'm I'm stuck between because if I if I was gonna use the uh, which I I still could the GT Hunter arrows that it came with, um, I would I would probably keep keep the arrows and I don't really I use the Muzzy three blades for years and to say that I'd want to upgrade those would would almost um, break my own heart because I, I have so much, <laughs> I use those for years and killed a lot of stuff with them. So, uh, you know, the, it's hard to say, I, I'm going to say probably the broadhead. Um, it's either that or, or the rest. No, it, it would absolutely be the release first. You got that right. But outside of that, it would be, or yeah, the release or the broadheads. Um, I'm okay with the whisker biscuit. Um, if I wasn't needing to test a bunch of other stuff, it wouldn't be a problem. Um, so outside of that, it would be the broadhead or the release. And then in, to, in today's world of, uh, you know, $150, $200 iron wheel broadheads and the yeah. 
$30 six pack of muzzies, like where do you land in there? I know you've done a lot of extensive testing and Mm -hmm. the marketing is going to tell you, well, it has to be rage, obviously. So, I mean, where do you, where do you, where do you end up or what's your recommendation? You know, if you were, if, what would you choose? Oh, um, did you, <laughs> did you see my video about, uh, the broadhead I used on that turkey? Yes. Yes, I did. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that rage bent on a turkey. And, uh, I, I see that actually quite a bit with people posting these things here in Oregon now, like this thing bent on a turkey. Um, and that was the brand new rage, you know, no collar thing, which deployed three or four times while I was stalking that turkey and I had to, you know, pinch it back down. Um, uh, I guess the, the difference, the question was what broadhead would I go with? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of good ones out there for, for a guy on a budget. Uh, the Exodus are a solid broadhead. Um, the slick tricks here are a solid broadhead. Um, I like the ones with the thicker, bl- with the, th- the thicker, uh, blades. So the Exodus for me, uh, would be one of those ones that I'm going to test actually this year. Um, good broadhead. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. You've got a lot of really good heads out there for guys that want to shooting. We got, um, you know, the 40 to $45 range seems to be pretty standard nowadays. I think Exodus is like 30 to 35. Um, so they're cheaper than the most of them, but you know, I've, I've tested a ton. Um, there's a lot of, uh, gimmicky ones out there now. I mean, the, the, the shittier your product is, the better your marketing has to be. So, uh, my opinion. Uh, so, you know, when you have these guys that are just bombarding with, with, this and that. And then, you know, I've had buddies who have tested broadheads that were really hot on the market. And then when they tested them, they're like, what the heck? They fell apart. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's good to have people that have suggestions for you. So the Exodus, the, um, there, you know, snap Hellraisers, which are kissing cousins to, I think, what are they like the muzzy phantoms and a G five striker or a G five Montec. Um, I might have the wrong muzzy there, but there's like, four or five different style of broadheads that are pretty much kissing cousins to each other that if you put them ne- put them up next to each other there's very slight differences those all hold together really well the uh the uh tooth of the arrows i really like those i killed a buck with those um i would go with the smaller cutting diameter on those um I, I shot the the bigger cutting diameter just fine i just you know a four blade i don't think cutting diameter is that big of a deal on a four blade anymore um, you're getting a good hole on entry and exit. So um, I would go with the uh, smaller cutting diameter on the uh, tooth of the arrow if you went with those. Um, you know, if you want a uh, single bevel, um, you know, Kudu has been pretty good for me. Uh, if you're worried about penetration, you could you could go with the single bevel. The bone broadheads are really tough. They just have a small cutting diameter, which I don't really care for, uh, but really, really tough head. Um you know, you've got the Helix out there. There's just so many choices, man. I mean, there's there's tons of choices out there. Um, you know, the Muzzy Trocars, the Magnus Black Hornets. I'm holding one right here. Um, I'm holding, you know, a mechanical that blew up on me here that when I tested it, that's a tripan. Um, you know, there's, there's more good choices, I honestly think, than there is bad choices. But the bad choices, yeah, you're going to know when you shoot an animal and, and, and you had a marginal hit and it didn't do you any favors. So... Um, there's a lot of really good heads out there nowadays, but you know, there's a lot of ones that have changed. You know, the shuttle T's were a pretty good head. They, they kind of changed that. I think their manufacturing, they, they break easier now. Um, you've got other manufacturers that, 
you know, go cheaper and, and they change their um, manufacturing and now they're not as good as they used to be. You just kind of need to um, test them for yourself. But the ones that I just labeled there are all solid broadheads. I mean, they're all good. One that, you know, I, sh- I, I shot two bucks with the, the tooth of the arrows this year and collectively they went 80 yards. And, you know, we kind of talked about it on, you know, pod, a podcast with the Zeus broadheads, right? Is yeah. the broadheads... Yeah are the greatest broadheads in the world until they're not. I mean, that that's just the 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 point of the whole thing is like you shoot a deer perfectly with a field point and you know there's a good chance that it's going to die. But it's that marginal hit, it's the you know, it's it's the one that shouldn't have gone further or whatever. I mean, you know, Frank's buddy, the one thing that sticks in my mind anytime you talk about uh, any of the nap broadheads is they have one, I think it's a kill zone that's almost, like you say, kissing cousins with the rage. He shot mm-hmm. a deer at less than 20 yards, didn't get a pass through, shot a third rib back, and it went like 500 yards with no blood trail. Mm-hmm. And it was like, it, it, I, I don't know what happened, but it didn't hit anything. You know, we recovered the arrow and the deer, but he's like, oh, it's it's up there 20 yards, you know, it should, it should be dead, you know, just right over that ridge. Mm. And that just wasn't the case. And he didn't even get down out of the tree until we came over there at noon, you know, four hours later or whatever. (laughs) And so they're the greatest broadheads until they're not. And so that's the, that's the hardest part of, of anything is, you know, you got to shoot a couple animals with them, but unfortunately it's like you almost have to, lose a couple animals with them to <laughs> decide that they're not or you know like you said i mean i've shot deer with the the rages and rage extremes where i mean the ferals are just destroyed you know blades are gone every single one of them's bent and it's like you know i recovered the animals so yeah, was good. it a success i you know i don't know and i'm not a good example mm-hmm. for the tooth of the arrow either because i made one tremendous shot but uh, you know as the, our listeners know like i tend to shoot them high in the neck as they're looking at me so i don't get a lot of pass-throughs but they they either go a really long ways or they they Dying don't right <laughs> you know they I just kind of kind of the way that it goes you know so i mean what i can tell you this um if you uh sure shoot a turkey under the wing um and they're quartered away they go a lot farther than you'd think they would. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter the broadhead. He's still think. going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, he smoked the decoy. There's, there's a lot to broadheads, guys. I mean, I, I could talk for hours just on broadheads, and and I'm curious to hear how your blood trails were with the, with the kudu. You, Frank, Frank, the, the kudu. But you, so Frank's Frank's got a question for you, but he's not. His mic's not on, so. Okay, what, what do you what do you got, Frank? Well, I was, the, the broadhead that he he's using, you know, I mean, or grew up with, or something like that. You know, what I mean, is there any specific one that he used to use? The muzzy three. It's blade. a muzzy three blade, okay. just like John. So Frank wanted to know what what you grew up with. So like, what was the oh. what was the broadhead that you <laughs> cut your teeth on? I guess. And it sounds like the, yeah, that was the muzzy the, uh, three blade. Yeah, the muzzy, the cheap green muzzy, the six for uh, the six for thirty bucks or whatever the <laughs> the six packs yeah that, that was the uh 
Just the cheap green ones, man. I mean, the ones you could go down to Walmart and get. Yeah, and you know it's that's funny. All, all I could afford at the time. It's funny. I saw those. We were at uh, over on the other side of the state from us. There's this big outlet, and they had six packs of them for like twelve ninety nine. And I was like, man, mm-hmm. that's a it's a pretty solid deal for for broadheads. That's a great deal. Yeah, <laughs> and I would you know I would not be afraid to use them again. Um, on, on, you know, I, I, there's better choices, obviously, but if I was, you know, if I had a kid who had a tight allowance, I'm like, all right, this is what you got, you know, like, let's, let's go do it. And, you know, I, I've, I don't know how many deer I've killed with them. They've, they've been great. You know, I mean, um, in Oregon, we can't kill five a year. Like, like some of you guys can over there over East, but, um, you know, I was killing stuff. I, I never lost an animal with, with the muzzy uh, three blade never ever and I shot bucks out to 72 yards with them I mean just fine pass throughs all, all the blades were still on them some of them were bent but um, you know I had really good success with those things now I guess on that note because I mean I this is just a you know this is this is uh, journalism at its finest but I feel like you dodged the question on which uh, broadhead you choose um. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, which one would I choose? What was my budget again? <laughs> now, I, I said, you know, if you were going to upgrade something, so let's say that you had two hundred dollars and you were going to upgrade. Obviously, your release. Yeah. And then well, that's an easy question. I already know. Yeah. So then you said you were um, going to go to a, a broadhead. Then would be the next. Yeah. One. So uh, so the broadhead I would I would choose is I was just uh, had a podcast with Brian from Day Six and I was talking to him about a this is months ago about a head. I had uh, an idea of a concept of a broadhead I would choose. I'm like, dude, I think this would be, you know, the rabbit ears, perfect broadhead. <laughs> you know, like this is my design of a broadhead. I'm like, is there any way, you know, like, cause he's like, we're coming out with one. And I'm like, sweet. Well, here's what I would do. And uh, after I got done describing the head to him, he's like, yeah, that's, that's what we're coming out with. I'm like, no shit. <laughs> it's like, he's like, yeah, pretty much to a T that's what we're, that's what we're doing. And, uh, so they're coming out with those. I think they're going to be available in June. Um, not to give you know just a obvious plug to to them over there, but that would be my choice. I think they're going to be about seventy bucks per three. Um, but they are literally, uh, if I had a brainchild with with Brian, that's what I would have come up with. That's almost identical to what I would have produced for a broadhead if I had my own magic wand. Okay, cool. Well, I look forward to seeing uh, seeing it, and uh, I mean, what you need to do is just draw yourself a, a picture of it and send it to yourself, and give yourself the poor man's patent. So when it comes out, you can say, "Hey, my idea." <laughs> <laughs> Remember, I told you about that on the podcast. Yeah, well, him and uh, him and Aaron Snyder um, racked their heads around it and and uh, um, came up with this thing. So it, it makes me feel good on the inside that I am on the same wavelength <laughs> as those guys. <laughs> right. But outside of that, I mean, I, I'm hoping to shoot those this year. I, I'm really hoping I get lucky on the draws because I have the Exodus I want to test out. I have those I want to test out. I have, uh, I still have the two of the Rage uh, no collar broadheads. I want to, I don't know if I want to test those out now um, on a deer. But um, I've got tons of things I want to test out this year and, and uh, for for heads wise, and um, so I, I need a lot of tags. <laughs> so Oregon. Not, weren't you guys uh, fixed blade only? 
Yeah, this is the first year uh, we've been able to use mechanicals, and okay. so uh, I've been I've been kind of trying to just mad scramble develop as much um, experience with mechanicals as I can in a short period of time, so I can talk intelligently with with folks that are you know thinking about or learning about broadheads, so I can better give advice. So. Um, you know, my, so far my advice is shoot a heavy ass arrow and, and buy a good one. Don't buy one of these Chinese knockoff ones, you know, um, that's so far that's, that's, and, and, and so far they're, they're a lot weaker than a fixed blade. I'll tell you that right now. So, um, that's, that's my experience with them. You know, I've never had a broadhead bend on a freaking turkey. Well, the only turkey I've ever shot <laughs> was with that mechanical. So. Um, I guarantee you my broad, my fixed blades wouldn't have done that. There's, there's just no way. So when you switch from the, the muzzies, I think kind of like where Frank was going with the, his question is, you know, what did you switch to and, and, and kind of how did the, I mean, now you're kind oh, of, God. In the, now you're in the, uh, the realm of you, you're, you're kind of trying everything and, you know, oh, seeing, man. seeing what, John, what lands. You, you might, yeah, John might have to help me out on this one. There was a nap product i want to call it the razorback um it was a spinning broadhead it was on bearings frank what says was it called razorback five <laughs> okay i'm glad you remembered that so i had it right okay and uh so i dude i was all about i didn't know anything back then i was all about like marketing and all oh, this looks really cool and it spins through the i'm like dude this is the coolest head ever i i use that um, those things were, I think, junk. Um, <laughs> then I never really, I never really landed on anything, man. I mean, I, I went to a, what did I use? Um, a Thunderhead? Yeah. No, I, I've seen them. I've seen them. I've played with them. Um, you know, it's kind of old faithful, uh, for a lot of guys there. There's, I don't think there's anything wrong with them. I think they're, um, Probably not as strong as a lot of the newer heads on the market, but I, I think they hold they hold up to time. Absolutely. Well, well, this is, you know, this is my dad. My dad thinks that I uh, I only belittle him on the podcast, and I don't I don't <laughs> I don't do that at all. But this, I was just, you know, Frank had been shooting the the Thunderheads. My dad shot uh, Rocky Mountain four blades. And they were like inch and three quarter cut. They were huge. And, uh, you know, we weren't shooting long distances by any means. So planing wasn't an issue. Uh, But, you know, for for our listeners, like for me, tuning wasn't an issue because it didn't exist. So we just like, we just shot and pie plate accuracy. (laughs) That was cool. 20 yards. That was it. I mean, that was our Uh effective range. And, you know, that's, that's the way that I grew up. Well, you know, Frank was just shooting Thunderheads. Thunderhead 125s forever and ever and ever. And I got boxes full of them, his old ones. He's got boxes full of them. John's got a drawer full of them, I'm sure. And and that was just the head. So my dad switches over to these. He shoots this doe. First opportunity that he gets, he shoots this doe, and he comes back up to the cabin, and he says, Man, I didn't get a pass through. You guys are touted these deer, these broadheads like they were the greatest thing, and I didn't even get a pass through. I'm like, well, how far did the deer go? Did you find it, or you know what's going on? He's like, took two jumps and it died. So okay, <laughs> he shot it frontal. I'm like, what? 
how in the world are you going to get a pass through <laughs> shooting at frontal? <laughs> like, I know that we said they were great broadheads, but geez, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, uh, around here, and it might be Frank's doing from the, the working at the pro shop, but there's been a lot of deer that have died at the hand of the Thunderhead 125 and probably still do. Yeah, yeah, that's that's been around for a long time, man. I don't think there's anything wrong with them. I mean, uh, I, I personally never used them for hunting or anything. I, I kind of just brushed them off. I'm always looking for the newest and greatest. But, I mean, there's thing, there's products that hold up to the test of time. And I, if I remember right, that thing's probably, I don't know how long that thing's been around, but it's been around for a long time. Long. So, yeah. Well, yeah, I, and so, um, or sorry, go ahead. I grew up on, I mean, my dad and Frank, they shot the Thunderheads, and I shot the Thunderheads, but I didn't like that collar on the back. Then there was a little O-ring, so that's where I, w- I switched over years and years ago to the Muzzies. And uh, it's, I'm, I've got packages, the six-packs still. I think there's two of them that aren't even opened out in my in my cabinet here. <laughs> mm. But Well, I mean, the... The thing with the tuning there, I mean, there's so many different things that can go into penetration. I mean, because those things should penetrate pretty well. Um, you know, I mean, if the if the knock's not following the broadhead, you know, I mean, if your arrow's coming if on, you know, coming into the target canted, I mean, there's just so many different things that can affect your penetration there, and and uh, and so you know, Oregon's been in the Stone Age for a while with broadheads, so you know, a lot of us have gotten pretty darn good at the at the tuning thing, and um been i i think it's been a blessing in the long run but i'm glad that we can use mechanicals now um because it just makes it more fun just more testing and more products so easier for people to tune their bows that maybe don't have a pro shop next to them oh for sure you know i and i i think you know we've kind of covered everything that i wanted to cover today um i just think you know i appreciate your time i got one last little bit you know if you want to have like a, a tidbit for the the listener um i guess what on this budget bow challenge have you learned from you know kind of i I hate to say taking a step back but kind of kind of going backward and Mm -hmm. for uh, maybe a little bit of what we talked about with with the the broadheads there but like where does marketing and functionality or, or, you know, I guess where, what kind of, what have you taken away from this challenge as far as like the high end to the low end for the, for someone who's, you know, just starting out around that budget? So what, what's the difference between a high end bow and a low end bow and, and stuff like that? No, not necessarily that. I mean, we, we talked about the, the high end components and the bows and everything, but, but maybe mm-hmm. just the, the hype, the, social media the you know oh yes 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 okay so i mean when when let me ask you guys you guys all watch tv and watch commercials when's the last time they didn't come out with the quietest fastest smoothest shooting bow well and that's kind of what i was thinking when you were talking about the stabilizers and talking about dead in the hand i'm like well every brand new bow without a stabilizer is dead in the hand and i think that that's (laughs) right you know that's kind of like what i took away from it I, i feel like John was an apologist to some degree at um, ATA. I mean, granted, I did shoot some bows that were were set up, and maybe that's why, like, I landed on the Carbon Icon because it was all set up with their ready-to-hunt package for 800 Mm -hmm. bucks or whatever. But, you know, shooting all the bows bare at ATA, 
you know, you can really see which ones are dead in the hand. Right. Right. And so <laughs> right. that but that's when you were talking about the that feel and what you were chasing with the with the stabilizer and the whole idea behind it, it was like literally like, well, every single bow, that's what they say is that it's supposed to be, you know, without a stabilizer, mm-hmm. without anything. It's the greatest bow, fastest bow right. ever. Yeah, well, that's that's my point. Is is every year they come out with the quietest, fastest, smoothest bow, and it's just marketing. I mean, this year when they when after I shot this year's bow and they said our quietest bow yet, I'm like, all right, let's see it. And I'm like, I shot it and I'm like, come on, man. Like, okay, I I I was a little frustrated. I was a little little down on on Hoyt this year, and I have been for the last couple years, honestly, but. Um, you know, they, they are straight up the, the ones that are the quietest ones, the ones that are improving their game seems to be Matthews and, and Bowtech right now, in my opinions, those are the ones that are making the biggest jumps year after year minus, I, I can't say that about Matthews completely because they're using a lot of the, just, they've been rehashing the Halon for like three years now. So, um, but they're, they're quieter and deader in the hand than the Hoyts have been for like the last four or five years, man. I mean, it's like. And they're claiming fastest, quietest every year too, just like, you know, Elite and Prime is and everybody. And, and it's just, you know, at some point, they're going to have to move away from that because, and if you look at the trends, they're they're going after trends. Right now, the speeds are there. So um, right now, they're trying to go after shootability, in my opinion. And it's kind of like cars. If you look at certain time frames, cars were muscle cars, and then they were oh, now we got to make them super comfortable. Now we got to make them get really good gas mileage. And now we got to make them do this or do that. Now it's electric. So things go through trends and you're going to see the marketing dictate that. Uh, so in my opinion, you know, there's not, I, I don't, I quit listening to the, uh, to the marketing almost altogether. The only marketing I fell for a few years ago was the Synergies marketing with the, uh, you know, we're 50% more steadier. And to me, I'm like, then that means I'm going to be 50% easier to execute a shot and, and better on, on – and, and you know what? That was one that I think I actually – I believe the marketing on that one. I, I was I was much steadier with the Synergy, the Prime Synergy. So um, you just have to go out and test, these, test and shoot these bows. I mean, the difference between a $400 bow and, and the marketing that goes behind that and a, a – $1,600 bow in the marketing that goes behind that is outrageous. There is great bows like the Power Max, which used to be the um, Charger. Um, gosh, that was a great bow. I, you know, if I if I could go back and find the first year they made the Charger, that would have been the bow I, I would have got. You know, like that's that was an awesome bow. So um, I wouldn't fall for all the marketing, man. I mean, it's it is what it is. I, I don't know if I'm answering the question properly, but it just seems like. The marketing, you know, I, I almost get negative and uh, and almost like, oh yeah, we'll see, you know, <laughs> kind of like a yelper, um, but w- we'll see. I mean, that's all I can say is is we'll see. Time will tell. You know, a lot of these bows, like the Hoyts, they come out with the sixteen hundred, seventeen hundred dollar bow. I'm probably not making any friends right here. And then you have side plate issues where your freaking sight won't line up to your bow, and you have to upgrade. Or yeah, and th- yeah, it's just stuff like that. And then shit's falling off the plating's falling off because the glue wasn't done properly or you know it's just like the more expensive you make your bows the more critical i'm gonna get and um you know everybody has their has their issues but i mean we're getting up to the point where now Botech has a 1500 dollars bow it's a reckoning i haven't shot it yet i'll, I'll shoot it probably tomorrow but we're, we're talking about a 1500 dollars aluminum bow so you know i hear it's great but 
is it worth the money? I don't know. And, and so kind of what I'm hearing is that for the used bow market, it's a buyer's market. And, you know, those there's a lot of great bows that they made. And the innovation is it's just following that trend. So if you can find a, a bow from a year ago, two years ago, that was in the more shootable phase, or if you're after a speed bow, you know, something like that, you know, it, it's out there, but the, the new marketing is just to justify their inflated costs. Yeah. Well, and I'll tell you bow shops, um, you know, it's, it's crazy. The messages I get from guys that go to bow shops and they're trying to do the budget bow challenge, um, or they're trying to get into bow hunting and they're like trying to follow, you know, what I've done, or I've had guys go out and literally buy the same setup I got for the budget bow challenge and, uh, they love it. Um, but the, you know, some of these shops are saying, Oh, you don't want that bow. It's outdated verbatim. And it's like, it's like stuff like that is is just what for me pushes me into making people more self reliant, self sufficient, more self educated. Um, you know, the better knowledgeable a customer is, the better equipped they're going to go in and know what they want, know what they need, and know what they're talking about. So, um, you know, knowledge is really a buying power to me, and and really for folks out there, the more they know, the more buying power they're going to have because they know what to expect. They know that that BTX has had limb issues, that the string angle comes off the cam bed or the ca- cable angle come off the cam bed. I mean, they're going to know that whatever you know, whatever bow you want to talk about. This is this is the deal with it, and, and if anybody ever says a bow is outdated, I just I almost just flip off the switch. I don't even want to hear it. Like, how is that outdated? Because six years ago, that thing was the bee's knees. You know, like the the Diamond Infinite Edge is better than any bow we had fifteen years ago. In my opinion, twenty years ago for sure. I mean, it's it is ridiculous how good these bows are and how for granted we take it. Like, I am very critical of a lot of the bows I shoot because that's my thing. That's what I do. But you have to be—you have to have guys like me out there that are willing to break these bows down and say, "Okay, this one has more hand shock than that one. This one is louder than that one. This one's six hundred dollars more than this one. However, it's—it's it's got more vibration, more. Um, it, it doesn't set as well in the hand. It doesn't feel as good. It's—it's it's more jumpy. It, you know, it's louder on the shot, and it's six hundred dollars more. Which one would you buy? You know, like go shoot them both. And so, um, you know, that, I think that's why guys really love bow reviews is because they don't want to hear marketing. They want to hear an honest opinion. And the guys that are independent from bow shops doing reviews do a lot better than guys at bow shops that do the reviews. And there's a reason because the perception that you're biased. If you ever look at a lot of the bow shop reviews on YouTube, it's always come on in and shoot it. This is a great bow. Best bow they've ever come out with. Come on in and shoot it. That's That's different than what I'm doing. So... Um, you know, not to drive, you know, not to beat a, beat a horse to death, but you know, there's, there's a lot of marketing that goes into it. There's so many bow manufacturers nowadays. It's so competitive. Um, it, it is incredible, um, what, what people have to see and look through just to, to figure out what bow they want. When I, as soon as I see a bow, I look at the specs. I don't even hardly look at the, uh, the commercials. I just, I go look at the specs. You know, and that that'll tell me ninety percent of what I of what I need to know. Well, I think John's run into that when he's gone into the bow shop. It's like who who's working in the bow shops? What kind of guys are are working there? Right, yeah, you got guys that are you know in there working on the weekends, and they don't know their ass from the hole in the ground, and they're trying to sell these bows to guys, or you know 
another thing is too is like you're saying i've i've years ago a guy was opening up a bow shop actually right across the street from me and at that time i was shooting matthews and mm-hmm. i walk in well back then matthews i mean they're i mean well still you have to be a certified dealer so, and there's only so many in the area well he couldn't get a matthews dealership so when i walked in and he asked what i was shooting i told matthew oh those are crap like well, <laughs> not really right now at that time matthews was the top they had you know the the only solo came out you know and you know yeah it wasn't the fastest bow but it was easily tuned and all that but anyway and then years later he's selling matthews you know he ended up getting a dealership <laughs> but that's funny but you know it's 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 like a guy that says you know this is the best bow i've ever shot how many bows have you shot well this is my first one okay that's all i need to know (laughs) i mean how many how many of those guys do you see out there this is the best pack best broadhead and you know it's just it's just it's just what people do i mean i I joke around hondas are cool because that's all you can afford you know like if if i could afford a ferrari i'd buy a ferrari man ferraris are cool hondas aren't really that cool (laughs) you know i mean there's nothing cool about a 98 honda civic man i mean (laughs) you can put that fart can on there and do all you want it's it's still a honda civic (laughs) right and that's what i tell everyone you know it's like go out and shoot every bow that you can you know and find out which one feels good to you. It might not be a Hoyt that's seventeen hundred dollars. It might not, it might be the Diamond Infinite Edge. You know, it might. You don't have to go out and spend like saying two thousand dollars on a bow, especially when you're breaking into it. You know, and you know Adam was getting mm-hmm. on me like when we went to the ATA because he's like, "Well, you're not shooting any bows. You only shot Hoyt and I shot Matthews." I'm like, "Well, because I'm a thirty-one inch draw link. They're thirty-one and a half. A lot of bows don't fit me. That's been my problem for years." You know, mm-hmm. you know, I had a Bowtech Boss, which I shot great, but I did not like the draw cycle on it. It was just, but and that was one of the bows that there was no one, no one had them around, and so I ended up, I just bought one, I used one offline, I got it for half price. Basically, it was like a brand new bow. You know, mm. and like I said I shot it, shot great, but I just didn't like the way the draw cycle was, and so that's why I ended up going with, I ended up going with the White Double XL after that one. And just because the draw cycle was smoother and it and it had, you know, more of a, a valley, you know, a softer back wall, where, you know, I shot the I shot some of the primes, you know, but with those bows that had the, the, the wheel stop, you know, instead of the the cable stops, for your back wall, mm-hmm. I don't I particularly don't like that super solid back wall like that, you know, so. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you'd you'd like a Hoyt. I mean, they they have a softer back wall. I like that solid back wall. It's just see, it's that's just use your preference. I mean, that's why they have, you know, limb stops versus cable stops, and and it's just I mean, there's just so many different things that goes into choosing a bow. I mean, have you have you shot the BT Mag? Which one? The the Bowtech Mag. It's a for for long draw guys. Nope, I haven't shot that one. No. I shot. I shot the SS. In the uh, Realm SS, and then there were the SR. Uh, those actually, I mean, those shot great. You know, they were short mm-hmm. for me at the, you know, at the AT. No one had one set up for thirty-one inch draw length, but I could, I could get one built for me to work. You know, if I if I really wanted to, you know, but. Mm. 
or just have a really long D loop. <laughs> yeah, I can make it work for me. But those definitely, like when I went, when we were down there this year, I shot more bows this year, just even though they were short for me, just to feel the different, you know, draw cycles and the, mm-hmm. you know, how smooth they were and quiet. And like, and I said, the, the Matthews Vertex and then that, yeah. that Bowtech, those two are both super smooth, you know, while shooting bows. Oh, yeah. I, I think uh, Matthews has had um, had you know at least at least a lot of the other manufacturers number out there the last couple of years. I feel like they've just been riding the curtails of a really good bow they produced, and they've come out with some newer updates to the bows and the cams and stuff. But um, I wish somebody would push them to make to do something cool. Come out with a carbon bow. I wish I wish they'd have another manufacturer just beat them up one year and and just make make Matthews rethink their their carbon bow game. I wish. I really wish they would come out with a carbon bow. Yeah, that'd be cool. <laughs> that would be yeah. Um but yeah, so that that's that's just my opinion. I've been I've been saying that for probably four years now, just waiting into <laughs> waiting for the Matthews to hit the carbon game. We'll see. <laughs> well, you know, I think for our listeners and you know, for myself personally, is like I love what you're doing because I like to see like I said, simplicity. It's funny that you said you just look at the specs on the bows because, you know, the I, I blew up my um, um, oh shoot my reflex. I you, you said a two thousand two bow. I had a two thousand three uh, growler uh, that strings blew mm-hmm. up on me. Like ten years later, my fault. No, no maintenance. <laughs> no nothing. Like when you hear when you draw mm-hmm. a bow back and it goes tink. Like yeah, something's gonna happen real quick. It's not going to be good. Um, but Frank had just retired. He got his uh, Matthews Helium. And so I was scrambling to get a new bow. We were headed to Ohio in like less than a month. And I looked at the mm-hmm. specs on his bow. I found this bear encounter ready to hunt package from Cabela's for 300 bucks. Had almost identical specs as far as weight, speed, um, draw length, axle to axle. You know, all the specs were almost the same and it was a thousand dollar difference in the bows Hmm. and so i got that bow took all the crap off of it put the higher end components that i had on my other bow um and went and killed the biggest buck i've ever seen in my life um (laughs) with you know a three hundred dollar bow i mean uh, essentially yeah and so it's funny that you say that you bring up a good point yeah you bring up a good point that you know maybe used like i did isn't the best choice for everybody because if they have that they want that peace of mind that they're you know they're everything's going to be good you know nothing's worn out on it then buying a new you know ready to kill package or ready to shoot package off the shelf for three four hundred bucks is a good route i mean there's 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 something to that end of it as well just know that the accessories are going to be less quality and 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 probably going to cost you accuracy in the long run um less durable but you could do what you did right there, go out and hunt, and, and you spent $300 on your whole setup minus, you know, releasing broadheads and arrows and still be under, you know, the bow hunting challenge, the, the budget bow challenge. So, and you have that peace of mind that your limbs are in good shape. It hasn't been shot at all. And, you know, there, there's there's that route too. And I actually bought that outlaw um, I talked about early in the podcast as my original budget bow. Wasn't really happy with it. I'm like, I can do better than that. But that was off the shelf for 200 bucks. It was discounted down from six. So, yeah, um, it, you know, it, there's there's deals to be found. And since I bought my Bowtech BTX31, I've seen two deals that were even better than mine. Like better, they came 
with everything my did pretty much, but all the equipment was better. It was a nicer case, nicer site, nicer everything. I mean, it was like, I wouldn't have had to do anything to it. And it was for 400 bucks. So, yeah, like I say, I, I just think it's awesome. And I think for like our listeners is, you know, there are mm-hmm. some guys that are like John, uh, but I would, uh, I would say that the, the majority of people are just hardcore hunters. And so it's, it's more of a, a tool than a hobby. I don't know if that makes mm-hmm. any sense. Um, that there's not a lot of tinkering going on. It's like you find something that works and stick with it. And what are you talking about tinkering? Right. I don't tinker. <laughs> I don't tinker on anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's yeah. It's like it's like how often do you see a carpenter out there? You know, checking out his hammer and tinkering with the weights on the front of the head and stuff. <laughs> right. Like, no, it's a tool. Right. <laughs> you know, it just he needs to get the job done and go home and and eat dinner. <laughs> you know. So right. I, I get it, um, but yeah, there, there's a lot of guys out there like John and I that love to tinker and, and um, love to test stuff out, and, and um, hopefully we can save those guys a heartache someday by keeping them from buying something good or, or making a silly mistake with the tuning or something. You know, there's a lot to learn, um, so there's there's a big need for guys uh, that that are sharing information out there. But I think on the same level of, I mean, maybe in maybe in your world. Um, it's, uh, everybody, uh, on social media killed a 300 inch bull or whatever. And everybody for us is <laughs> 140, 150 inch whitetail. And if you're not killing those, you're not worthy. And it, it kind mm-hmm. of it stands to the same thing. It's like, if you're not shooting, you know, this year's bow or, or whatever, then you can't post a picture of like actually liking to shoot your bow or, <laughs> or archery or anything like that. It has to be. You know, you just built these six fletch micro diameter, <laughs> you know, 700 grain arrows and you're shooting them at a hundred yards. I mean, I don't know anybody like that, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do. <laughs> so, uh, and I hope they listen to this. <laughs> yeah. I'm staring at one um, right now. So <laughs> that's funny. Yes. Yes. Well, I, I can tell you right now, I, I haven't shot a lot of huge animals. I've shot. Um, a lot of, you know, quality ones, but nothing, um, you know, that, that mule deer last year was a good buck. I thought he was bigger than he was. I thought he was a different buck when I shot him, but, um, I thought he was my target buck. And so when I walked up to him, I was like, ah, shit. So, um, you know, I mean, it's, it's not about the size of the rack. I I don't know if I've actually ever entered any of my bucks or, or anything in, in the record books. Um, I measure them and, uh, you know, for my, for my personal knowledge and then I put them on the wall or I, I do whatever with them. I mean, it's, it's for me, it's, it's like when I killed my bull, a little off topic here, but when I killed my bull this year, it was such a struggle for me to even post a picture of him. Cause I'm like, I didn't do this for you. I didn't do this for anybody else. I did this because this was a, I forget how many years I'll say eight year struggle of filling this tag. This, this was completely about me versus yeah i even killed it where i started bow hunting i mean it was it was so personal i did i almost didn't even share the bull that i killed um just because it was so unimportant for me to to let everybody know but i did and i and i shared it and and um you know everybody's like oh cool but at the same time i was like man you don't know what i went through and some guys do you know some guys do but um you know i got my ass kicked by elk for for many years because my family didn't grow up bow hunting elk i had to learn that almost by myself. I had one guy that would, that really knew his stuff and he uh, taught me a few things and, and uh, you know, he was, he was one of my first phone calls. So 
you know, it's, it's not always about the size of the animal. Very rarely should it ever be. Um, you know, granted I passed up a lot of little bears this year, but that's, that's just for other reasons. Um, you know, I, my first deer was a spike with a bow. My first bow kill was a spike. And I, I can't think of another animal I've ever been more excited about. Maybe the bull I killed this year. Um, but you couldn't tell me that wasn't a 200 inch deer. The, the reaction would have been the same. You know, I mean, you can't eat the rack. However, um, I've started moving on to higher age class. So I, you know, it's, it's really weird, man. Everybody's in in a different spot. And if you're in that spot where you have to kill a 200 inch buck and, and feel good about it, then that's where you're at. Um, you know, people go through different stages in their lives about what they need to kill. Um, you know, I, I'm at the point right now where I want to kill mature animals. Uh, I'm talking about deer, the you know, elk. I don't discriminate. I, I, <laughs> I shoot the first bull that comes in, <laughs> but, but for deer, I mean, it's, it's a completely different stru- um, journey than, than the elk I've, I've had so far. So, um, I talked about that quite a bit on my podcast, so I don't want to get on the soapbox here, but, um, yeah, I mean, those guys that have to, have to, have to do that, uh, are doing it for the wrong reasons. I mean, truly they, they are doing it for the wrong reasons. There's no reason why you should have to kill a certain size animal, um, just to post it on the internet. I mean, that's just, just that's just silly. I mean, I've been there, I've done that. Um, I it just felt gross, you know, when I, when I've done that and it's just, it's just not worth it for me personally. Well, and I think that that's, you know, why it's, it's such a good conversation to have with you, you know? So there's guys that, you know, we've talked to, uh, everybody that we've talked to, has been somebody that we've wanted to talk to, not that we felt that we should talk to or to be good for the podcast or something like that, because there's mm-hmm. lots of guys out there that, you know, frankly, I don't have anything in common with. And, you know, that you, if you can pass four or five year old deer because you're waiting for this one or that one, it's like that doesn't speak to, to a whole lot of people. And I think, you know, by you, you kind of saying what you've said, you know, just there, but, you know, what you're doing with the, the $500 budget challenge and then, and following it through, even though it's kind of, uh, sticking in your craw a little bit because you wish you could do this or you could do that or, or, or whatever, mm-hmm. but, you know, kind of sticking to that, you know, is, 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 a, a good example for exactly what you're trying to do with new hunters and, and everything like that. And what we're trying to do over here is just kind of showcase like what regular guys do. I mean, John's, mm-hmm more on the one side of a a regular guy who's passionate about archery that's you know saying hey i'm gonna build my own string jig and i'm gonna i'm gonna figure it all out and you know yeah, follow got, along with me i got less than 50 bucks into my string jig <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> but well that's and then i spent 50 bucks on a scale too so. <laughs> but you know uh so just to be able to to have that sort of perspective but then still kind of share that with people and say hey look this is what we're doing and it just for for the sake of doing it you know and, and and kind of instead of look at me like let's grow together and let's let's enjoy this and if i can help you out then then you know that's what we're that's what we're doing here so what do you have going on this year um coming up and where can people follow along with kind of what you're doing yeah so uh waiting for tags to come out here in oregon um i'll know uh next month right about the same time i'm actually getting married next month too um so i i it's been i've been a roller coaster and and, uh just trying to spin 16 plates at once right now (laughs) so um you know get the marriage uh done 
and then get the draw tags figured out. I'll know a better what my plans are, but I'll probably go back to Idaho this year. Uh, my goal is to kill. Um, I, I want to spend more time hunting. Last year, I was I was really blessed. I, I killed my a really nice uh, mule deer the first second day of season, and then the next day I killed my Rosie um, on the other side of the state, back near my house. Um, I, I killed a Rosie the next night. So um, I did. I only got to hunt two days last year for myself. Um, so I'd like to hunt a little bit more <laughs> this year, minus Idaho. I hunted a lot in Idaho. Um, but I'd like to hunt a lot this year, but I also, at the same time, I need all the vacation time I need, I can get because I'm trying to go to Idaho for, for a couple different tags this year. So elk, deer, um, I really want to get a bear with my, with my bow. Um, I have plans to go, um, to Texas for the first time and try and kill a whitetail in December. Um, we'll see if that, uh, you know, goes through and everything. I, the last couple hunts I've had promised, uh, fell through. Um, so we'll, we'll see if this one goes all the way. I'm really hoping it does. Um, it's kind of a cool thing cause I got invited to go hunt this huge private ranch with my buddy whose family owns it. Um, all the meat that we don't want. So we get, we get to kill one deer, one buck a piece. Um, it, apparently they're going to be, you know, 140 to 160 range or something like that. And then, uh, we get to kill as many hogs as we want. And all the meat from the hogs goes to feed um, this like school for children or something. I don't know. It sounds too good to be true, but it's <laughs> if if all the meat goes to feed this kids charity school or something. So I'm really hoping I get an opportunity to do that because that would be amazing. Um, I'd really like to kill my <laughs> kill my first whitetail. Um, but that's you know that's that's what I plan on doing for that. Um, plans for the podcast is is just keep plugging away. You know, I don't really have any have any super big events coming up for that or anything i'll be at hoodoo so if anybody in the washington or oregon or areas near there want to go to mount hoodoo um come shoot it it's a it's a freaking awesome shoot and stop by the booth awesome man well like i say we just really appreciate you coming on here and 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 kind of doing what you're doing you know because it 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 definitely um hit home with a lot of our listeners um and so like i said i I just want to follow up and uh, i think there's a lot of people out there that you probably know uh, that appreciate it but i think there's a lot of people out there that you know it's it's inspiring them you know to see people with a a large platform saying well you know what i don't i'm gonna i'm gonna take a step back and i'm gonna show you that all this isn't isn't necessary you know that yeah that that's really you know, a, a, a great thing. And it kind of speaks to like kind of who you are and, and what you're doing. So, um, you know, we appreciate you coming on here, but more importantly, we kind of appreciate what you're doing too. So I just want to thank well, you for yeah, your time. I, and Yeah, man. And if you don't mind a shameless plug real quick. Oh, please do. <laughs> um, it, yeah. If guys want to check out the podcast, um, it's on point podcast with Garrett Weaver. Um, and then the YouTube channel, just Google my name, Garrett Weaver. And if you guys want to, you know, any tips and stuff on there, I've got like over a hundred videos now. Um, all the podcasts is uploaded on YouTube too. And, and, uh, you know, if, if you think it's beneficial, subscribe, if, if you, you know, don't like the videos, don't, but you know, we're, we're, I'm here to help. And, and, uh, just like John and Adam here, man, you know, just want to get good information to people that need it. And that's kind of, uh kind of where the basis of the whole channel is, is just trying to educate to where people can become better, more self-sufficient bow hunters. And that's, that's really the the goal of this thing. And I'm sure you guys are, are right there too. I never look at it like when we come onto a podcast and, 
and you know, have somebody like you guys on or you guys have me on, we're not really competing. I mean, people are looking for information. So, um, you know, you guys are great. I've listened to a few of your guys' episodes and, and uh, I, I think you guys have a great thing going on here. And and uh, hopefully you guys can keep keep dishing these these episodes out, man. You guys, uh, you guys have a great podcast. Well, I really appreciate it. That means a lot. You know, I mean, it, it's one thing. You know, now we go places like we go out to these events and stuff like that. And, you know, people go, oh, hey, John. And they go, Uncle Frank, you know, <laughs> they just walk right past me. And I'm like, man, I'm doing all the work. Like, <laughs> so, That's hilarious. But people don't know how much work it really takes, man. I mean, it, it is, uh, you know, because I try to do two to three episodes a week. Um, and it's it's almost it's like a part-time job on top of a full-time job on top of having a YouTube channel that you also have to produce content for. So, um, and, and, you know, John, I'm sure, you know, cause you're, you're a tinker and a tester. It's expensive. <laughs> it's super expensive. So yeah. if you guys have, have a Patreon page and you're listening to this, go to their Patreon page and support them. Cause this shit ain't cheap. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, but yeah, th- you know, thanks for coming on and uh, we look forward to, to following along with everything you're doing and uh i can't wait to see those broadheads when they come out that's for sure so awesome man well yeah you guys have a great one and uh come on to my show anytime and, and if you ever want to have me back on i'm totally down all so right that's good all right thanks again see you guys yep. Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois and the whole crew here at Duck Camp Dinners every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. When you go out there and the fish are where you think they are, any one of these casts could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing that I know right here at Hawks Cave. Oh, that's awesome. Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.